First Peter, starting at chapter 4 and verse 1. You put your finger there, I'll eventually get there. Let's pause and ask the Lord for his help. Heavenly Father, we just want to pause and, and uh, just acknowledge that the, the truths contained in the scriptures are spiritually discerned. We need the Spirit to help us understand these words that are life-giving and nourishment to our soul. We pray that the Holy Spirit who is present among us, who resides in the hearts of God's people, and coming to do this very thing, to, to show us Jesus Christ, show us Jesus through the power of your word. Amen. I'm going to begin with an interesting article I read about a bad boy who finds Jesus. There's a picture of him just for your mind's eye that will be displayed here. I really like his hairdo, first of all. <laughs> this look. He's really rocking it there. As they say, let me tell you about him. Robert Hijar has made some very wrong choices in his life. Some landed him in jail, others almost cost him his life, but through the help of a Christian ministry, he found the strength to make things right. He turned his life over to Christ. Now Robert has been reborn as a local rap artist, but unlike most rappers on the radio whose songs often glorify violence, sex, drugs, and alcohol, he spreads the gospel through his music. He's just released his seventh album, Faith, Hope, and Love. Quote, my goal is to make an impact, he said, to touch people's lives, to let them know there's hope. Because I've been there. I've been at the bottom and almost lost everything, so I know where they come from and how they feel. He grew up in L.A., in North Hollywood area, fell into a gang at the age of 14, Quote, I was very violent and angry. He said, I started hanging out with the wrong crowd, doing stupid things. One of those stupid things put him in jail at 16. He had been arrested and convicted of committing assault and battery with deadly force, almost ending the life of someone else. I got a real wake-up call one time. I was real sick. I went to the doctor. The doctor told me, you already have scar tissue on your liver, and you're only 20. Following this path is going to kill you, so... I left it all and decided to follow Jesus Christ. But it hasn't been easy. Old friends and his former partners in crime were not happy with his change of heart. And as he began to leave the partying and violence with his past associations, he had to endure intimidation, mocking, and actual threats of violence. Well, thank you for that picture of Brother Robert. And, and the, herein really lies the, the theme of 1 Peter, really this phenomena of unbelievers uh, often having a problem and pressuring those who come to know the, the Lord Jesus Christ and begin to live a new life. You know, Jesus in one of his parables said, by the way, uh, the angels in heaven they rejoice when one sinner repents. And the word repents just means to have a change of mind or change of heart. When one sinner repents, there's joy in heaven 
But evidently, we find that not everybody shares that same joy, surely not some of our acquaintances along the way, our unbelieving ones. So Peter didn't want uh, any new Christians to be discouraged or caught off guard by the cold shoulder treatment and other struggles that all Christians are going to have to face. And so he's telling us, listen, there's some suffering along the way. Many blessings, of course, inherit with becoming a Christian in eternal life, peace with God, forgiveness of sins, the companionship of Christ in our life through the power of the Holy Spirit. Lots of benefits, but there is some suffering as well. And Peter says, I don't want you to be caught off guard. You need to arm yourself. And so, verse 1, Therefore, since Christ suffered in his body, arm yourselves also with the same attitude, because he who suffered in his body is done with sin. As a result, he does not live the rest of his earthly life, for evil human desires, but rather for the will of God. For you have spent enough time in the past doing what pagans choose to do, living in debauchery, lust, drunkenness, orgies, carousing, and detestable idolatry. They think it's strange that you don't plunge with them into the same flood of dissipation. That word means wastefulness or immorality. And they heap abuse on you but they will have to give account to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead. For this is the reason the gospel was preached even to those who are now dead, so that they might be judged according to men in regard to both to the body, rather, but live according to God in regard to the spirit. Now we're going to reflect on these six verses this morning. The thesis statement of this paragraph is very easy to find. Peter's concern with what he calls the rest of our lives, to live in God's will and not for our own selfish desires. The rest of your life, technically, biblically speaking, begins right after you surrendered your heart to Christ. He says here, his thesis statement, you must spend the rest of your life pleasing God and doing his will rather than pleasing yourself and your own sinful desires. In order to do that, he's going to give you three ideas here. Number one, you'll need to endure some suffering because of the inner transformation that's taking place in your own heart. Number two, you'll need to endure some suffering from outside, outside pressure from unbelievers. And number three, he says, so let me give you some good motivation to be able to bear suffering as a Christian well. So if you're taking notes, one, inner transformation, two, outside pressure, three, good motivation. Number one, inner transformation. And that's really what the Christian life is all about. Inner transformation being changed supernaturally from within. The Holy Spirit comes inside you and makes you new or born again or born from heaven above. It's not about like most people think. You know, somebody, just an ordinary person, just decides to start acting in a religious, moral kind of way. That's not it at all. 
It's not about bad person becoming a good person. It's about a dead person becoming an alive person. And the goodness is a result of having already obtained the free gift of eternal life, not in an effort to earn it. Amen? And so, first of all, it's this new birth that really starts the struggle from the inside out because now there's a new way of living and Christ is on board and we have to do his will. Jesus told a man who thought he could be good enough, Nicodemus. He said, Nicodemus, you are going about this an entirely wrong way. You can't be good enough. You, flesh and blood cannot get you to heaven. You're, you're ill-equipped for eternal life in a body that is always sinning. Even when you want to do Nick, good, Nicodemus, you can't. Your motives are even off. Listen, pal, you've got to be born again. It's a mysterious thing. And he asked about that. And Jesus said, it's a mysterious thing. It's like the wind blowing. It blows here. It blows there. You can kind of hear the sound, but you don't know where it's come from. And you don't know where it's going. It's this mysterious, spiritual, supernatural thing that happens to a human being who is a sinner, who turns to God, cries out, surrenders their heart, and the Holy Spirit comes in and brings a new generated life inside it's called being born again and that's the moment of struggle that's where it all starts second corinthians chapter 5 verse 17 if anyone is in christ they are a new creation the old is gone the new has come the old may be gone but it's not annihilated it's overpowered by the Holy Spirit who comes into our life, but it, the old is not eradicated, and therefore the inner transformation from the old life to the new is going to cost you a little bit of suffering. June 3rd, 1979. You've heard many times from me. That was the date that I became a born-again Christian. I was in a bar. And I heard a voice in my head that wouldn't leave me alone. It kept repeating, why will you go to hell when you don't have to? Over and over again. And I started muttering that as I've told you the story many times. And my brother happened to see me. My brother was in the bar as well. It's kind of like a club or whatever you want to call it. It was a disco. I don't like to admit it, <laughs> but I will. And uh, I walked out of that bar transformed. I knew the Lord. I had never been in church a day in my life, 19 years old. I never opened a Bible, never heard a prayer, never heard a sermon, nothing. But I knew I had a new life. I knew about the Lord. I knew what was right and wrong. From that moment on the sidewalk, I did not go back in the bar, but I took a walk with my brother and we prayed a sinner's prayer. We didn't even know what we were saying. The very next conversation I had was with a roommate who tried to convince me and dissuade me from my new decision. So I walked in the door, and let me tell you, there's a God, there's a Jesus. He died for our sins. This is what people have been telling me. My father's been preaching it to me. I've heard it from him and from street preachers. And now the struggle begins. Let me tell you why this is just a figment of your imagination. Right away, it's like, 
the swords come out, and I realize, whoa, I've got a little fight here. Now he started mocking me. He rolled his eyes. This is my roommate, my friend. Why aren't you happy for me? <laughs> and now I lose his friendship. Why? Because that's what happens when you start to struggle with the new life. Not only outwardly, but inwardly is the context here. You've heard the story, you know, about the young boy, the school project. Um, he was observing cocoons morphing into butterflies in the class terrarium. And one day, a small opening appears. Finally, this butterfly is going to come out. It's taken a long time, struggling to get through this little tiny hole. It's taking too much time for this fourth grade boy. So he takes a pair of scissors, and he snips away the cocoon and gives a, a wonderful wide berth for this butterfly that slips out easily and onto the bottom of the terrarium with a bloated body and shriveled wings. He's waiting for it to take off and fly, but of course that's never going to happen because God designed it that in the struggle, in the trying to get out of that cocoon, the life-giving juices uh, flow out into those wings and, and make them able and strong enough to lift that creature uh, skyward. And that's really a nice, cheesy illustration, <laughs> a little bit borderline there. But you know why suffering is really necessary for the believer. It deepens our trust and dependence on God. We learn how to fight spiritually. Uh, faith grows, character development, Christian maturity. It's, it all happens. And in this sense, Paul the Apostle says in Philippians chapter 2 and verse 12 that you need to work out your salvation with a real serious resolve. You see, God plants freely this new gift of life in you, and now as it begins to take hold, you have a moral obligation to cooperate with the Holy Spirit. You have a say in this new life, and sometimes that brings a little bit of suffering. And so the, your text says, arm yourself for battle. The Greek word is hopledzo, uh, to pick up a weapon, to load ammunition. And really, it's a different kind of weapon because this weapon Peter is telling you, Christian, to have is an attitude, a mindset. The Greek word is anoia, which means a way of thinking or a mindset or an attitude. And not just any old attitude will be what he's asking you for, but it was Jesus' attitude. Jesus armed himself with this attitude. I will obey and please the Father no matter what, even when it hurts, even when it costs me. He says, Christian, we've got an example in Jesus Christ. Please God all the way, 100% of the way, even when it costs you, even when it's going to be an owie or a loss or something that you have to die to because it's not consistent with the gospel or the faith or holiness. That was Jesus' thing and Jesus' choice and Jesus' attitude brought him human suffering. Jesus was fully God, 
He did not have an earthly father. He was conceived of the Holy Spirit. He is the God-man. He is 100% God. He is 100% man, born of a woman. And by his choices to obey, it brought human suffering to his body. In the garden, he says, Father, if there's another way, let's do it another way. But no matter what, I will obey you, even if it costs me sweat drops of blood in obedience. And so he armed himself with whatever the Father's will for my life, even if it's going to cause me some pain and heartache and loss. And in Jesus' case, loss of life. Peter says, arm yourself with that kind of thinking, because if you're unarmed and you think, oh, I said the sinner's prayer, now I'm going to be healthy every day of my life, and I'm going to be wealthy on top of all of that, like some pulpit breach. You are going to be one bloated, grounded butterfly because you just think God has waved a magic wand of blessing over your life, and you're a king's kid now, hallelujah. The king's kid has got to suffer a little bit. Jesus' opening words, hey, if anybody wants to follow me, let's just, <laughs> no fine print, no fast-talking guy, a footnote at the end, you know, they do at the radio commercials with all the unattractive parts, the fast-talking guy that comes on. He doesn't have John come in and say, you know, uh, you know, blah, 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 avoid where prohibited. <laughs> He just says, he just says, let me just tell you straight up, number one, you want to follow me? Get used to telling yourself no every day. Deny self. Number two, pick up a cross, an instrument of execution, bloody and death. Number two, number one, just get used to it. You want to be connected to me, you'll be telling yourself no, which is not a lot of fun. When me wants something and me can't have it, me no happy. <laughs> Amen? <laughs> and so this is what he's saying. He's saying, uh, as a result, the believer now lives for God's will, marches to the beat of a new drummer. Instead of living the rest of his life for his own sinful desires, the human, the, the, the word there, epithumia, which is a word I talk a lot about it's called lust or evil human desires and that these desires battle within you James chapter 4 they battle within you Romans 7 they these desires wage war against your soul this is in the believer's life Romans 8 says your sinful nature is hostile to God and can never please him and it remains. It has survived conversion. You live with the smoldering uh, remains of, of a sinful nature that wants to own you. You hear that voice every single day. I have an option to go with Christ and God's will and God's word, which is against every natural inclination of my sinful soul, which is still somewhat alive. Think of it this way, and I've explained it to you this way before, like an unplugged appliance. The Holy Spirit comes in, unplugs that bad boy, right? But as you know, don't mess around 
inside an appliance that's been unplugged because some of them still carry a charge. And that's really a nice illustration of the sinful nature. It's been unplugged. It has no more power. You are in complete control with the Holy Spirit. You have the weapon to unplug it, but the problem is, is, is that you have a choice to either embrace it and to fan the flames and bring it back to life, and it is constantly waiting to grab control. Galatians 5 says, so I, so I say, live by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of Let's call it the sinful nature. Let's call it the me monster, all right? Because that's what the sinful nature is. You know, so King James calls it the flesh. And that's kind of a Christian word. You know, somebody told me the other day, oh, I was really in the flesh. You know, only a Christian knows what that means. You know, when you say that to an unbeliever, they're like, uh, I'm in the flesh too, <laughs> as I'm in a human body, all right? But all it means is, is that I'm not walking with the Holy Spirit. I'm walking in the carnal desires of my human fallen nature. I like to call it the me monster, and we all know that we now have two natures. The me monster needs to get knocked out and kept out. Here's the voice that we hear. Me want sexual gratification without marital responsibilities. Me want to get high and escape my stressful reality. Me want to talk bad about you so me feels good about me. Me want money and me not care very much how me gets it. Me want to take revenge. Me want to hate. Me jealous. Me envious. Me don't like you very much. <laughs> me only like me and what me wants. Amen, amen. Anybody got that monster nearby? I know, you're sitting next to him, right? <laughs> of course you are. Now, the Christian reality of struggling and suffering with this beast that lives within you, that takes your mind captive and makes your life miserable and you feel like two people at war inside, that's called suffering for Christ. You don't just have to be a martyr in Iran languishing in some godforsaken uh, dungeon. Anybody in this room could be a hero because we are martyrs. We are dying to the me monster on a daily basis. There are heroes in this room. You will not hear the story until heaven what some people in this very room have to slay day in and day out. There's a suffering, a grief, a pain. Every cell in their body wants to do something that God forbids and they have to quiet their tongue. They have to control their sexuality. They have to not take the drink. They need to, to just to, to, to die to self. And that is a suffering that God accepts. That is a martyrdom that God will honor and reward you. You say, well, I don't do anything for God. Yeah, you do. <laughs> 
Every time you put that beast in check by the power of the Holy Spirit, you have scored a heavenly reward that takes a lot. There are people in this very room living quiet lives of desperation out of sheer 100% obedience to God. And that's the only reason they do not act in a different way, though every cell in their body and every prompting is, I want to do this, I will not because of my faith in God, and that is honorable. You will hear about that on the day of judgment. I love in the Old Testament the really explicitly uh, prefigured, the struggle in Israel's uh, uh, promised land, they've been given the blessing, they've divided it up, and the Lord allows pockets of resistors, the Canaanites, to live in the land. And he says, unless they've broken, I've broken the power of the Canaanites, but you will have a continual battle to overcome them. They prefigure the Christian struggle. We are in the land. We have received our blessings. We are in Christ, we are saved, we're in the promised land, but there are pockets of resistors in our own hearts. We have Canaanites to subdue, and he says, zero tolerance or you will be overcome. He says to Israel, you deal with them or they will deal with you. He says, kill or be killed. Zero tolerance with our sin nature. I was telling the Wednesday night crowd this because we're on this section uh, Animal Planet had this show, uh, Fatal Attractions, and this woman's being interviewed, and she says with a gleam in her eye, I've always had a thing for crocodiles ever since I was little. A gleam in her eye, and I'm just waiting for the camera to go wide and for us to see half an arm. And sure enough, we see half an arm, and she's still saying, I've got a thing for crocodiles. Listen, there's some suffering. And I'd rather suffer by saying, you know what, I've got a thing for crocodiles, but I'm not going to go there. <laughs> I'd rather suffer that than letting the crocodile have his way with me. Amen? <laughs> oh, but you know what? Do you know how many one-armed people are in this very room right now? We all say, amen. Oh, yes, Pastor Ross. Well, listen to me. Let me tell you what some of your crocodiles are. Talking too much, getting to everybody is business, pornography, craning your neck and your head with every pretty girl that goes by. That's a little baby crocodile. Taking stuff that doesn't belong to you. Talking smack about people. Oh, yes, Pastor Ross. Oh, we don't want any crocodiles. Well, you've got a whole infestation of them inside your own heart. And the Holy Spirit says, zero tolerance with those beasts. There are Canaanites, Girgashites, Jebusites, Hittites, Amorites, Amalekites, and every other kind of ite. <laughs> They're in there, and they need to be subdued. And uh, you have to be careful about that. Put to death, 
Therefore, whatever belongs to the me monster, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, and greed, which is idolatry. Colossians chapter 3 and verse 5. Now, that, that's suffering. And some of us are a little bit squeamish. You can't be squeamish. Let me tell you one thing about uh, just a little quick story about how squeamish I can be, physically speaking. Um, when I had cancer 10 years ago, I had to inject myself in between treatments to bring up my white blood cells. Now, I never would inject myself. <laughs> no way. So Barb would inject me. But one day, Barb, wasn't, Barb was away, and I needed my white blood cells. And I knew I had to inject myself. And I was like, oh, no. So I'm sitting on the porch, and I've got a pair of shorts on. I was going to use my thigh here. And I'm holding the syringe above my thigh. And I'm sitting in a chair, and I'm just getting the nerve to do it. And I'm sweating. And it slips out of my hand. And it goes into my leg and goes, ding, 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 ding. <laughs> And I came this close to passing out. <laughs> I was watching it go like this. It was a into my leg. And I was just like, oh. Look, folks, you don't kill crocodiles that way. Jesus said this, is it your eye? Take a knife and gouge it out. Is it your hand? He says, get an axe. One chop, boom. Is it your foot? Is it where you go that separates you from eternal life and from my fellowship? Take a really sharp instrument and pow. Once and for all. Suffer once. Do away with it and you're done with sin. Now speaking of sin brings us to our second point. The paraphrase goes something like this. Besides all this, haven't you wasted enough time doing what unbelievers do? Loose living, partying, doing whatever pleases you, worshiping stuff instead of God. And you know what? Your old friends are going to think you're the crazy one when, no, when you no longer want to join them in these kinds of destructive behaviors. And so they pile on the abuse. So uh, suffering number two really is outward Pressure. You've got this new life. You're struggling now to do things right. It's costing you. It's painful sometimes. Uh, you know, it's a less painful if we just do it the right way and walk with the Spirit. Uh, but now your inner transformed life is coming out, and some people don't really appreciate it. Now, here in this setting, they are living in first-century modern-day Turkey that's being occupied by the Roman Empire, and it's a pretty base society, as we're going to see here. And uh, he says, number one, hey, can I just reason with you, you who want to do your little sinful thing? He's saying, There's, haven't you done enough of it? I mean, we all came out of it. Didn't you already invest in that? Aren't you done? Can't you just say, been there, done that, done? He's saying it's a real waste, isn't it? There's no future in it. So why are you even, why are you even thinking about it? You know, uh, Halloween came and went, 
And, you know, they rang the doorbell. I happened to be home. I get to open every other door. And I just feel sorry for the little kids who dress like a devil and come to my house. Because <laughs> they got to get a little sermon, <laughs> all right? So the little kid is in a devil suit. And I say to him, you know, there's no future in being the devil. <laughs> there's no future in this. Why would you want to be a devil, you know? And they look at me like, you know what, bald guy? <laughs> Give me some candy, or I'm going to smash your pumpkin. <laughs> now listen, Peter's just reasoning with you. He's just saying, every time the meat monster says, me, feed me, you could say, excuse me, but that's fruitless. There's nothing in it. You, it's a waste. It's a waste of everybody's time. It grieves him. It messes me up, and it will harm other people. He says, haven't you spent enough time doing that? And he expects an answer, yes. Romans 6, Paul speaking. When you were slaves to sin, you were free from having to do the right thing. Here's the question along the same lines. What benefit did you get by doing the things you're now ashamed of? So every time me monster says, hey, what about me right now? Paul just says, what benefit? benefit did you ever get from listening to that voice and doing what it said? Was there ever a benefit besides a little thrill, a little immoral pleasure, which the Bible admits for a season, it's pleasurable. It speaks the truth. It knows that it's fun. But then there's always the price tag. And Peter just says, you know, you've spent enough time. All of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our sinful nature, following its desire, desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature objects of wrath. And so he's really saying, you've been there, you've done that, please. See past it and go, oh yeah, doesn't work, didn't make me happy, got me in more trouble, so I'm going to just do what the Bible says and count it dead. Amen? And when we do that, our friends and our acquaintances in the world, the unbelievers, are not very happy. When we turn from our hedonistic, pleasure-seeking ways of the world, unbelievers seem to take it personally. And so he gives you six examples. I call it the six love languages of the me monster. All right? <laughs> And here they are. Um, by the way, they all six phrases or words here have one thing in common. They're all lacking self-control. And of course, without self-control, you're pretty much ruined. Proverbs chapter 25, verse 28 says this, like a city whose walls are collapsed is a man who lacks self-control. In other words, without self-control, you're finished. You are finished, you're ruined. And so uh, here we go with the six words, okay? The love uh, languages of the me monster. Number one is your NIV has debauchery. It's a slight improvement over the King James version of licentiousness. Both words we don't use. The Greek word means abandon, reckless abandon. You remember Sesame Street with the cookie monster, and you put a plate of cookies in front of him, and then he goes psycho, 
and they start flying everywhere, and there are cookies everywhere. That is the Greek word for abandon, debauchery. I will have all of these cookies, or whatever the cookies are. You give yourself fully to whatever it is. I'm going to say it. I'm going to react in anger. I'm going to click on the image. Boom, abandon. Number one. Number two, lust. It's just that strong, insatiable desire for forbidden gratification. It could be sex, money, whatever. Three, drunkenness. Uh, that includes all forms of altering your consciousness, just in case you say, well, it doesn't say weed. <laughs> it just says alcohol. Can I have a talk with you, all right? Somebody said to me, Pastor Ross, God made weeds. He made it. It's a, it's a plant. It's natural. So it must be okay. And I said to him, you know, he made poison ivy too. And he, and he didn't say rub it on your face. All right? Listen, you want to know where the weed came? It came in Genesis chapter 3. Then the weeds started to grow. All right? And that's just a fact. There was no marijuana growing in the beginning in paradise. All right? I need an amen so bad right there. All right, moving on. And then uh, the next two unfortunate words are just a, a frat party gone wild. Just number six, idolatry is bowing down to the little statues to worship the ancestors or the emperor. And now today we see that as money or materialism or recreation or whatever your thing is that you put before God. So to quote some writer here, Christian conversion was seen as an insult to Roman culture. Believers were seen as unpatriotic traitors, haters of humanity because they wouldn't go along with the way things were, disrupting relationships and ruining all the fun. So you get this new life. The Holy Spirit starts to change you, and it starts producing fruit. And your unbelievers around you see that. And now suddenly, you're not laughing at the dirty jokes anymore. Do they say, oh, wow, that's awesome that you're not laughing at the dirty joke? No, they don't. What do they say? What's wrong with you? Oh, you're so holy now. They give you a hard time. Oh, don't say that in front of him because he's a freak. No, we who talk like that, we're the right ones. And you who want to have a clean mind and a clean conscience and say things that are more dignified, you're the freak. You're the freak who doesn't want to get wasted, who doesn't want to spend your virginity, your one-time only gift that you could give to your husband and wife. I've had the privilege of marrying people who have never slept with anybody else. They're virgins on their marriage day and they have told me of the ridicule and the mocking that they get when it comes up that they don't live together and they don't have sex and they never have had sex with one another they get called liar they get eyes rolled at them they laugh at them and then when I tell them on their wedding day who is laughing now 
you get to have a honeymoon and look into each other's eyes and know you haven't used your body with somebody else with God knows what you picked up along the way because whoever you sleep with, you've slept with that person and everybody they've ever slept with. But you're the freak. You're the freak who doesn't want that. You're the crazy one. You're the liar. Sorry, I'm getting a little out of control here. <laughs> but that kind of thing makes me crazy. Where the oddball wants to say, where the oddballs who want to save our lives and be blessed, but we're the crazy ones and they're the sane ones. That's sanity. Just sleep around, get drunk, get high, take what doesn't belong to you. Wow, how crazy are we? So number one, they get, they marvel. How strange is that? They think it's strange that you don't plunge into the same flood of dissipation. In other words, they think you're nuts not to dive into the same polluted pool that they swim in. And number two, after they marvel, they get mad because you've made them feel bad. What are you telling me, that that joke is wrong? What are you telling me, that I live with my girlfriend? You're telling me, what are you telling me by that? You tell me I'm doing something wrong. Yeah, I am, but I didn't even have to say it. I just have to live it. And the Holy Spirit pricks your conscience, and now you're mad at us. He says, get used to that, because that's the way it is. So it's difficult to tell yourself no, to die to passion. So number one, get used to that inner suffering as you're being transformed. Number two, get used to a little pressure from the outside world that doesn't appreciate your witness to their conscience that there is a God and they're out of whack with him and that they are sinning. You have to pay that price. And number three, finally, um, now there's a little encouragement, a little motivation because suffering is no fun. So Peter says, hey, let me encourage you. So he says this, there's a personal appointment face-to-face -face with a living God that awaits us all. So motivation for me to tell me monster no every day and for me to put up with people rolling their eyes all day long and pointing fingers and insulting me, to put up with that well, he says, can I just remind you, Christian, that not only you, but every human being will stand before the throne of God and give an account of their life. You in a reward kind of way, them in an interview that will not go very well and it will end even worse. This is our motivation. It's worth the suffering in light that I know I will stand before the living God and give an account. He says, listen, you can put up with a little heat from the world when you know that the magnitude of their foolishness will be displayed on the day when they give an account to him who is ready to judge. Psalm 103, verse 6. The Lord works righteousness and justice for all the oppressed. Psalm 89, in verse 14. Righteousness and justice are the foundation of your throne. Romans 12, 
If it's possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everybody. Do not take revenge, my friends, but leave room for God's wrath, for it is written, it is mine to avenge, I will repay, says the Lord. So what is he saying? He's saying about the flack that you have to take. Just know, one day you'll be vindicated. You will be vindicated in front of God, the whole universe, the angels, and those who gave you a hard time. You will be vindicated, but leave it to God, he says. And let that motivation spur you on to go ahead and suffer well, to be obedient all the way. Listen to this. When the Lord, when the Lord takes an oath, I think we all should be listening. The Lord, when the Lord swears and says, I swear this is going to happen. When God swears, listen, I'm taking an oath here. Listen up. He says, I swear by my own life that truly every knee will bow before me, every tongue will confess to God, so then each of us will give an account of himself to God. Wow. Keep going. Eye on the prize. Eye on that day. And by the way, also to suffer inwardly with this denying of self and abstaining and carrying the cross, really uh, to endure a little heat, really keeping the me monster in check, really considering I'm going to give an account for how well I did with that, and that, listen, my place in the life to come, your place in the life to come, is being determined now by your response to how you deal with faithfulness or unfaithfulness with that beast. He says, you will answer and you will be awarded or not, not thrown to hell, but rewarded or not, and given a place in his administration that's coming based on your faithfulness now. So he's saying, hey, let that motivate you with the suffering, a little suffering now, when you see him and he says, well done, good and faithful servant, thank you for dying of that thing. Enter into the joy and look what I have for you because of that. That's pretty important. That's really the message, really. And how about this final one sentence? It's a little obscure. Let me just read this and then we'll close. For this is the reason the gospel was preached, verse 6, even to those who are now dead, so that they might be judged according to men in regard to the body, but live according to God in regard to the spirit. So here's what he's saying there. He's saying Christians who have died are alive today by God's power because of the gospel. The world judged them in this life. Fools, stupid, freaks. They judged them in the body in this life. But funny thing, even though they're dead, they live. It's worth obeying God because in this life you're blessed and in the life to come. Well, I hope you don't mind me closing with an illustration from The Biggest Loser. <laughs> One of the contestants said this, telling her story. I endure the pain. She went from 300 pounds to 125 pounds. Looked great. 
she says this, in my transformation, it was very painful. I cried a lot. Listen, you listening with both ears here? I cried a lot in my transformation. I had to tell myself no all the time. Every day it's all around me. And you have to eat to survive. There was no way out of it. And every day promptings and sugar cravings. And then sweat and going to the gym when I didn't want to go. The doors were open. I was there. I made myself go because I pictured the end and the lights and the camera and the confetti coming down. And then that I, in front of the world, 20 million people watching, will watch me in a tight little thing stand on a scale and everybody see what I've been doing in secret. Now everybody sees the sweat, the pain, the discipline, the embarrassment, all worth it. And I just had one thought in mind, and it kept me going. The last day. The glory of the last day. Think about it. One far off divine event toward which all creation moves. There's no stopping it. It's coming. You will stand on the scale, good or bad. And there'll either be thunderous applause or there'll be sadness, even for Christians. Loss of reward ends in eternal life by loss of reward. Peter says, listen, I'm a pastor. I love you guys. I want you to step on that scale at the end and say, hey, any suffering that I had to go through for the joy of this moment pales in significance to the greatness of this moment. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word and your Holy Spirit that keeps us on track. Oh, Lord, it's just... It's so difficult, but so worth it. So help us keep our eyes fixed on Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith. And help us cooperate with the Holy Spirit. Help us endure the suffering well. In Jesus' name, amen.